we have a crisis in the world, tremendous crisis, and also crisis in our consciousness, in us. I see the urgency of change, radical revolution, mutation in the mind. I see it. It is necessary. There is complete quietness of the mind, and that which is silent has vast space. Only then that which is nameless comes into being. This is Urgency of Change, the Krishnamurti podcast. If you are doing yoga, there must be no effort at all, no forcing the body. If you force the body, it is not yoga. Hello and welcome to episode 101 of Urgency of Change. Season 3 of the Krishnamurti podcast continues with the format of carefully chosen extracts from the archives of the Philosopher's Talks. Each weekly episode focuses on a theme explored by Krishnamurti and the aim is to represent his different approaches to these universal topics. This week's theme is yoga. Upcoming themes are uncertainty, revolution and comparison. This is a podcast from Krishnamurti Foundation Trust. Please visit our website at kfoundation.org where you can find a growing collection of in-depth articles on Krishnamurti's teachings, along with key topics and a wide selection of quotes. Our online store stocks all available Krishnamurti books and ships worldwide. You can also find our daily quotes and videos on Instagram and Facebook at Krishnamurti Foundation Trust. If you enjoy this podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, which helps its visibility. This week's episode on yoga has six sections. The first extract is from the fourth talk at Brockwood Park in 1972, titled The Origins of Yoga. And there is obviously the fashionable thing now, yoga. Yoga means... as it is translated now, joining, yoking two separate things together. I am sure it had quite a different meaning at the beginning. Yoga meant probably harmony, not bringing two things together. Soul and the body and the Atman and you know all the rest of it. And I once saw at a station in India a beggar doing yoga most beautifully. They were throwing coins to him from the railway carriage, and he was doing the most complicated yoga with the most with the greatest of ease. Hmm? And that yoga has been brought to this Western world to make people healthy, happy, young, find God, you follow? Everything is involved in it now. 
originally from what I have been told there was certain weed, certain leaf in the Himalayas which only very few people chewed and it kept their brains and their mind tremendously alert. And as the vine or the bush disappeared, <laughs> then they had to invent a system called yoga which kept all the glands perfectly healthy, operating efficiently. And that's how yoga came into being, which is exercises. And also in it is involved a way of life, not just doing some silly little exercises, a way of life in which there is no drugs, you follow, sir, morality, all the rest of it. The second extract is from the fourth talk in Amsterdam, 1971, titled Which is more important, a healthy body or a healthy mind? You, are you saying that I am making yoga ridiculous? Yes, sir. Ah. <laughs> you know, yoga means unity perception. I am not making it ridiculous. Unity of perceptions. And there are various forms of yoga from what one has heard in India. Part of that yoga is exercises, what they call asanas, postures. which is to keep the body perfectly healthy. The, the postures, the yogic exercises are meant to cultivate and keep healthy the various glands. And In that, man naturally has given a great deal of meaning to it. That is, you must practice yoga, exercise, often clearly, stand on your head, all the rest of it. If I may be a little bit personal, for I hope you don't mind. I do it every day for an hour and a half. Therefore, I can't be ridiculing it. I do it not because to attain enlightenment, to see something greater than 
the mind. The speaker does it purely for exercises. And you see a mind that may be stupid, vulgar, petty, can do yoga, breathe all the things, you know, perfectly. Stand on your head superbly. Sit in a perfect posture, but the mind will still be shoddy, will still be envious. So, which is more important? To keep the body perfectly healthy, which is necessary, or to have a mind that is full of delight and clarity and does yoga too. Whereas most of us want physical perfection, do yoga and become young. You know, So we are not ridiculing it. We are showing the whole picture. Yoga also says control. Do various things. And if you, if you never read a book, if you had to find out entirely everything by yourself, and you have to, because you have to stand alone, because that um, mind that's completely alone is only such a mind that can meet that which is not contaminated. We see Mount Everest and it is easy to climb, or rather difficult. But we don't see the other. How do we get there? First, by denying everything that man has put together and foisted on you. Because unless you, one understands oneself, which we went into yesterday's knowing oneself, Knowledge becomes an impediment to reality. There is no system to get there. If there was a system and you practiced it, your mind will become mechanical.
The third extract is from Krishnamurti's fourth discussion at Brockwood Park School in 1970, titled Yoga Without Effort or Control. If you are doing yoga, there must be no effort at all. No forcing the body at all. If you force the body, it's not yoga. So to do something without effort, it doesn't matter if you take a week to touch the floor, you follow? Standing straight, without bending the knees, touch the floor. Take a week or longer, but don't make an effort. Right, sir? Because the moment you make an effort, you are forcing the muscles. Therefore the muscles become taut, become distorted, right? Whereas if you say, all right, I'm going to do <clears throat> this thing very slowly, take time, give attention to it. You're... So I want to live a life without any control. Mm. Sexually, pleasure, uh, you follow the whole of life to be without control, but yet highly disciplined. <laughs> because I see <clears throat> any form of control implies effort, right? That is, that's the thing first you must understand before you understand meditation. That's why I'm talking a great deal about it. Effort. I must get up. I'm lazy, I must force the body. I must go for a walk. Hmm? It's good for it, I must drive it. I must not be angry. Hmm? All the musts and should implies control, doesn't it? Control implies suppression, hmm? conformity to a pattern. Whether that pattern be social pattern or a pattern which you yourself have developed in order to do something. Freedom implies freedom, not freedom from something. Therefore, to live a life which is completely free, and that means no control, and can you live a life here, in this place, daily, without any control, and yet be punctual for your meals, you follow, get up at the right time so as to do your exercise, whatever you do, <coughs> study, you've, without the least effort, 
because the effort implies duality, contradiction, wanting, not wanting, and therefore distortion. So the mind that lives without effort is is a mind that has no distortion whatsoever. Therefore, no nationality, right? Therefore, no belief in any organized religion or the beliefs which organization, religious organizations have imposed on man for thousands of years. You see, all this is, right? So, unless you really understand very clearly what it means to make effort, what is involved in effort, meditation then becomes a process of of control, direction. And then that's, that's not meditation at all. So first understand that. Right? What it means, what are the implications of effort, of control? You know what is implied? First, there is a controller mm-hmm. and the thing to be controlled. The controller says is more intelligent than the thing to be controlled. more beneficial, more profitable, more it will lead to greater happiness, and so on, so on, so on. Therefore, it says, I must control. Right? In control is involved suppression. Right? Are you following all this? No? I control my anger, that means I'm, I suppress my anger. And so anger returns. When you suppress something, it's, it's there. And it will come out when you're not watching it. <laughs> so, <coughs> control implies direction division, suppression and imitation. I control in order to achieve something. Therefore, in that is involved the whole um, problem of time. (laughs) I will achieve something in, in the future. Unless you, this is very clear, what is implied in control, you are trying to meditate, is a form of distraction. Then it's a form of self-hypnosis. So first, we must discuss. What is implied in control?
must learn together what is implied. Communication means together, doesn't it? Hmm? Together learning, together working, together creating. So here we are, we are trying to learn together. I am not trying to tell you what to do. That would be fatal. But then you will copy it, you follow? And therefore you will begin to suppress what you think, what you feel, and you imitate. So all that implies effort. Now, here we are trying to learn together what, it, what is implied in control. We are not saying it is right or wrong, it is good or bad. We are learning what is implied in it, what is the significance of it, what is the meaning of it. And all human beings are brought up to control, right? From childhood they are to- told, don't do this, do that, must be this, should be that. So they train from childhood to control. And so the mind is conditioned to control. And so when the mind is told no control, it says, all right, I'll do what I want. Which what it wants to do is still within the pattern of its own conditioning. Therefore it's not free. Right? So I have to learn what are what are the implications of control. I'm not going to say I'm going to be do what I like. But I'm learning, Hmm? therefore I'm watching. The moment I watch, either I watch in order to control or watch in order to learn. What is it you are doing now? Are you listening, watching, to learn or to control? You are are conditioned to control, aren't you? Hmm? Right? Are you aware of it? What are you going to do about it? When you hear somebody come around and say, what an extraordinary, why do you live that way? 
Control, control, control. What for? The fourth extract is from the first question and answer meeting at Brockwood Park in 1979, titled, Can Yoga Awaken Deeper Energy? for Kundalini. Will the practice of yoga, as it is being done in Europe and in America, help to bring about a spiritual awakening? Is it true that yoga will awaken deeper energy, which is called Kundalini, from the sublime to the ridiculous? The so-called yoga, which the West and part of the East in India, was invented about the 17th and 18th century. The exercises, in order to not only to have a very good body, healthy body, through force, you understand, through discipline, through control, in order to awaken so-called higher energy, 17th, 18th century. The real yoga, which is called Raja Yoga, king of yogas, is to lead highly moral life, not morality according to circumstances, according to culture, but true ethical activity in life, not to hurt, not to drink, not to drug yourself, right amount of sleep, right amount of food, clear thinking, and acting morally, doing the right thing. I won't go into all that, what is right and wrong. They never mentioned, as far as I understand after talking with a great many scholars, they never mentioned about exercise. They said, exercise normally, walk, do, swim, all that. But their emphasis was a very moral life, highly mind which is active. And modern yoga, the meaning of the word, you know, of course, all of you probably know, is I've talked to the scholars too, and they say it doesn't quite mean that, which is to join. The meaning of the word yoga is to join. Join the higher with the lower, or the lower with the higher. You understand? And modern yoga, 
I don't know why I'm talking about all this nonsense. <laughs> I don't know why they call it yoga. It should be called just exercise. But that wouldn't appeal to you. <laughs> you have to pay money to learn yoga, <coughs> to breathe properly and all that. Really, you can practice yoga, the exercises of different kinds. The speaker has done some of it for years, taught by the experts. Fortunately, they didn't charge. (laughs) Because they also thought I was an expert. Sorry. <laughs> I'm not an expert. And so they soon deserted me. <laughs> For I deserted them. <laughs> You can do this kind of yoga exercise for the rest of your life. You won't awaken spiritual insight. Nor will the awakening of a higher energy come into being. You know, in the the East has word for this called Kundalini. Some of you probably have read or been caught in that word. But most of the people, as far as I've discussed with them, who have gone into this matter very deeply, they're always quoting somebody else back to the original mischief maker. Uh, sorry, I just want to... <laughs> and none of them, please believe me, none of them have awakened this thing. They talk about it. They have they feel certain experience, and which they're called by this name. I've discussed with them very seriously. And what they are talking about, a certain form of increasing energy to do more mischief. I mean that. By eating right food, by control, by breathing properly, etc., 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 you have more energy, naturally. And that gives you a sense of superiority in your enlightenment and so on. But there is a different form of... I won't go into it, because you all are eager. I am not touching it. 
that can only happen when the self is not. Then there is a totally different kind of energy to keep the mind fresh, young, alive. And that can only come when there is absolutely no sense of the Self. Right? Obvious reason. Because the Self, the Me, the centre, is in constant conflict. Right? Wanting, not wanting, creating dualities, opposing desires, hmm? this constant struggle that's going on. As long as that struggle is going on, there is a wastage of energy, obviously. When that struggle is not, there is a totally different kind of energy taking place. There is a story of a man, of a philosopher or a patriarch. He was a well-known teacher. And a disciple came to him and said, Master, teach me how to meditate. So he sat up in the right position, you know, and closed his eyes and began to breathe very deeply. trying to capture the higher webs and vibrations and all the rest of it. So the master picks up two pieces of stone and rubs them, keeps on rubbing them. And the disciple opens his eyes and says, Master, what are you doing? He says, I am trying to make out of the stone a mirror so that I can look at myself. And the disciple says, Master, you can never do that. He said, in the same way, my friend, you can sit like that and breathe like that forever, but you'll never... Got it? (laughs) The fifth extract is from Krishnamurti's third talk in Ojai, 1985 titled, The Highest Form of Yoga. Everybody seems to be terribly interested in yoga. They want to keep young and beautiful. Shall we begin with that? I thought you would be interested in it. <laughs> it's now yoga has now become a business affair like everything else. They are teachers of yoga all over the world. And they're coining money as usual. And 
Yoga at one time, I've been told by those who know about this great deal, it was only taught to the very, very, very few. Yoga doesn't mean merely to keep your body healthy, normal, active, intelligent, but also it meant the meaning of that word in Sanskrit means join together, joining the higher and the lower. I don't know who joins it, but that's the tradition. And also, there is various forms of yoga. But the highest form is called Raja Yoga, which is the king of yogas. And there, that system or that way of living was concerned not merely with the physical well-being, but also much more strict psychologically. There was no discipline, no system, nothing to be repeated day after day, but to have a brain that is in order, that is all the time active, but not chattering, but active. That activity, I mean, the speaker is interpreting all this. Probably they wouldn't tell you all this. The speaker has talked to various scholars and pundits and real yoga teachers. There are very few of them now. So to have very deeply orderly moral, ethical life, not just merely take various postures, but to lead a very moral, ethical, disciplined life. That was the real meaning of the highest form of yoga. Thereby, you kept the body healthy. Body was not first in the primary importance. What was primary importance was to have a brain, a mind, a well-being that is clear, active, not in the sense of movement, but in itself active, alive, full of vitality. But now it has become rather shallow, profitable and becoming no mediocre. We were taught, the speaker was taught by one of the, oh, many years ago, something that could not be taught to another. Let's leave it at that, shall we? Is that enough talk about yoga? Oh, you want me to tell you what I was taught?
I'm sorry, I can't tell you. <laughs> it's not to be taught to the casual. It is something that you do, perhaps every day, that the speaker does for an hour, to have perfect control over your body, so that you are watchful. I won't use the word control, but to watch your body, not make any movement, any gesture, which is not observed. There is no unnecessary movement of the body, but it's not controlled. That's where the difference is. May we drop, drop that subject and go on to something else? I know you are reluctant, <laughs> because this you think perhaps you may consider yoga to be something to be practiced day after day, to develop your muscles, have a muscular body. It's not that at all. It is something. You live all day long, something you watch, observe, be clear about. The final extract in this episode is from the sixth talk in Ojai, 1980 titled, There is Only One Yoga. So meditation is not something you practice. It is the understanding of the whole movement of life. Right? The sorrow, the pain, the anxiety, the aggression, the loneliness, Hmm? Otherwise, if, you, if the mind isn't free of all that, your meditation is worthless. You understand? You know, there are these gurus that have come from India have brought up their many, many forms of systems, superstitions, and concepts. There are the Tibetan meditation, right? The Zen meditation, the um, the meditation to awaken. So, I'm just using their phraseology. Don't jump on me. <laughs> meditation to awaken their Kundalini. Various forms of yoga. Yoga. The real meaning of that word is to join, right? That is, to join, according to them, to join the lower material existence to the highest. The practices of yoga, you know, 
which you breathe and take various postures and all that, was invented about the 18th or the 17th century by a man or a group of people who wanted occult powers. Which is through control, through forcing, follow, through direction. They said this we might awaken extrasensory perception. I'm putting it in the modern world. And they've been practicing it. But there is only one yoga. which is called Raja Yoga, in which there is no practice, no artificial exercises, walking, swimming, natural, and a tremendously moral life, in which there is integrity, you follow? That is real yoga, not all this thing that you play along with. And when you understand the nature of a system in meditation, you understand all the systems, right? Whether it's the Tibetan, Zen, or the your own particular kind of uh, native guru, <laughs> not the imported gurus, but your own native ones. If you understand all one system of theirs, you have understood all the systems with regard to meditation, which is they are based essentially on control, concentration, practice. Right? Do this and that every day. That is, including Zen, is to make the mind more and more dull. Which is to repeat, repeat, repeat. You understand? I hope you understand all this. And these gurus also come along and give you what they call mantra. You've heard about all this. I'm sorry you are burdened by all this business. The word mantra means the root of it, mantra, two different words. The first word man means meditate, listen to it carefully, meditate or ponder over not becoming. You understand? Not to become something. Tra means, I'm bored with all this stuff. <laughs> Tra means put away all self central activity. You understand? Mantra means meditate or ponder over. Be concerned with not becoming. 
You understand? You understand that, sir? Don't become anything. You may become something in material world, hmm? but don't become inwardly anything. And if you have any self-centred activity, put away that. That's the real meaning of that. And look what they've reduced it to. So, system, the Tibetan, Burmese, Zen, or the Hindu or the Christian, when there is a repetition, which means you repeat hoping to achieve something, and that system is invented by your guru or your super guru and so on, and you merely follow. Right? That you follow some authority. Therefore, your mind becomes infantile, narrow, mechanic, mechanical, without any substance behind it. So one when you understand one system, finished. You understand? You don't have to go to, to Japan to become, to understand the Zen Buddhism, or to India, or go, all the rest of it. The word Zen comes from the words, Sanskrit word Dhyanam. It went first after the Buddhist period, or during the Buddhist period, to China. A monk carried it there. And as the Chinese and the Japanese cannot probably pronounce dia, they turn into ze. <laughs> and that has become almost sacred. So, meditation is the ending. The ending of your greed. The ending of your attachment. Right? Because then only the mind is free. Then only the mind has no problems. It is only such a mind that can go beyond. That is, the mind with its consciousness the consciousness is made up of all the content. You understand? The content makes consciousness. Your greed, your envy, your anxiety, your loneliness, your beliefs, your attachments, your pursuit of safety, you follow? All that, your vile, is the content of our consciousness. And to go beyond, to find out, or rather, to see, the, to observe there is something beyond all this, mind must be completely free of all its content. This is rational. This is not illogical. You understand? 
then the mind is empty. Emptiness is <coughs> full of energy, as they are also saying scientists. Right? When the mind is empty, there is nothing, nothing which means not a thing created by thought. Such a mind being empty, that mind is full of energy. Right? You don't know about it. Don't go into it unless you have done all the other things. It is just a lot of words. Then is there something beyond energy? What is the origin of energy? You understand? Not God, all that has been set aside completely. Is there something beyond this energy, the origin of this energy? There is, if a mind is totally empty, knows compassion and love, such a mind will come upon it. 